So let's begin by talking about the Geno trade again. I think last episode I did talk about it a little bit. Mostly I talked about a more emotional type of side from it. And I think it's important to also look at it in other ways. So like I said last time, it is going to change a lot in this offseason. Obviously, we're losing Gino the player, but you're also losing Gino the clubhouse guy. And Gino the clubhouse guy is an important dude for your team. He was the dude that brought the good vibes. And I don't mean to make a pun or anything there. Really, that is what he did. He brought good vibes to the team. And now that that is not there. So how do you replace that? How do you replace his importance in the clubhouse? As well as his importance to the entire organization and on the field. It's important to look at this from a whole picture, right? So not only does he lose the clubhouse, but we're losing the bat he brought. And the bat is maybe the smallest fraction of what he brought as a player. Because he was worth basically three wins this season just based upon his defense, right? So when you have three wins worth at defense, correct? That means you are losing a lot for your pitching staff. So, this hurts not only the order, the batting order, but it also hurts all of your pitchers. That means starting pitchers, but also all the bullpen dudes. And the bullpen dudes might be a bigger thing because that means a bullpen dude can get a ball hit at third base and it's going to, if it gets spilled or anything like that, it's going to be a bigger deal than it would have been otherwise. Right? So you're losing a lot when you're losing Gino. It's a big deal. But I trust that if Jerry DePoto is willing to give that away, he has an idea and plan. And he's going to go out and make a move that is going to be big, that is going to be important, that is going to change the outlook of next season. Because right now, your outlook on next season is not looking very good. Right now, your infield is looking trash. Your batting order is looking trash. Okay? You have lost two of your top five hitters from last season, probably. I don't, I don't even know if you could debate that they were top five dudes. And you've just lost both of them. What does that mean? That means that Jerry DePoto, this front office, everyone involved needs to go out and they need to acquire big-time hitters, whether that is via free agency or whether that is via trades. It doesn't matter to me. At this point, what you have to do is you have to get impact back. And what does an impact bat mean? It means a bat that is going to maybe move the needle a little bit. Actually, it will move the needle. It is a bat that is going to move the needle, that is going to make your lineup look deeper, that is going to make your team look better as an overall team. As well as maybe it's going to look like a dude that is going to bring vibes, that is going to bring positivity, that is going to bring whatever to the clubhouse. Because in losing Teoscar Hernandez and Eugenio Suarez, you are losing big-time clubhouse dudes, you're losing big-time bats, you're losing big-time defense in Gino, and you're losing a lot. 
all right? You're losing names. And names aren't everything, but when you are looking at a team you are facing, names do matter. So who is an example of an impact bat that I'd like to go see the Mariners get? On the free agency market, it's someone like a Jorge Soler. At third base, who does that look like? And I'll talk about some targets and fits in both free agency and trades later. And I'll go into depth even more in the future. But there aren't that many dudes out there that are going to be an impact bat at third base. So what does that mean? That means maybe you're going to have to go find an impact bat that's going to play second base. Obviously, you need an impact bat at probably DH and outfield already. But now you're going to need an infielder as well. And that is going to be difficult, and that might be a problem for Jerry Depoto. There are not that many impact bats that will play in the infield right now in the free agent market. And does that play a big deal? I'm not sure, because Jerry Depoto doesn't sign that many in general. But it is still very, very important. Today, the Mariners were linked with Isaac Paredes. That is a third baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays, if you do not know. And he could bring something. And again, I'll talk about him more later. I'll go into depth about him, as well as someone like a Matt Chapman or a Jamer Candelario, who the Mariners have all been linked to. And then again, I'll talk about Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, both of whom maybe not first place you think of them as a third baseman, but they both can and have played third base. So we'll talk about all those dudes later. But right now, let's just focus on the trade. So again, if you don't know already, the Mariners traded Eugenio Suarez to the Arizona Diamondbacks for Carlos Vega, or Carlos Vargas, sorry, as well as Sebi Zavala. First, let's look at Vargas. Now Vargas is 24 years old. He's 6'4", 210 pounds. He's a right-handed arm that will be out of the bullpen, obviously. He has four and a half, four and two-thirds innings, I believe, in the majors in his career, all of which were this season. Let's see, four and two-thirds innings, yeah. So he has four and two-thirds innings. In those four and two-thirds innings, he has seven strikeouts, four walks. He's given up two homers. He's given up three runs all earned. He's given up five hits. His whip was almost two. ERA plus was 81, so that is below average, I believe, because the average would be 100. It's one of the ones, uh, one of the statistics that is on a 100 grade scale. He's below average in ERA plus, but again, that is just looking at at uh, four and two thirds innings. What we know about him is that he can throw hard. He throws about 100, I believe. His fastball hits 100. He also has a cutter that is very, it can be very useful, can be very dangerous for a hitter. He also has a sinker and a changeup. So when you're looking at those four pitches, right, what is he missing? A true off-speed pitch, right? He has gone cutter, fastball, sinker. That's three fastball type of pitches and a changeup, which is also type of, a kind of a fastball. And he did only throw the changeup, I believe, yeah, 1.2% per baseball savant. He threw 
They ch- they change up one time. He threw the sinker 17 times. He threw the cutter 30 times. And he threw the fastball 33 times. So when the Mariners look at this, I think they see a lot of pretent- potential. Right? The cutter averages about 91.7 miles an hour. Fastball 99.4. Sinker 98.8. Change up 94.4. So can you find a pitch that's about 88, 89 miles an hour. Maybe it's a slider. Can you get him to develop a slider or a curveball or something of that type that will help him to make that fastball more useful and more powerful as it's already topping out at over 100 miles an hour? My problem with this is that could you have gotten Carlos Vargas for a lot less than Eugenio Suarez? Carlos Vargas struggles, 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 struggles. I can't say it enough. He struggles with command. He's been like that throughout the entire minor leagues. And is that something that the Mariners have been known to fix, can fix? Yes, because he's a bullpen arm. The Mariners do very well with bullpen arms. But with that said, this is a dude that, again, I don't know if you needed to give up Suarez for. You probably could have gotten him for a lot less. Now, will he probably be a stud in this Mariners pitching lab? Yeah, because basically everyone is there, right? They develop dudes time and time again. But they gotta, if they can develop this dude, this trade will look a lot better. But as of right now, it doesn't look great. So that's Carlos Vargas. That's one of the pieces. The other piece is Sebi Zavala. Now, Sebi Zavala has been a backup catcher in the majors for quite a while, I believe. Let me pull up his statistics. Yeah, so Carlos Vargas debuted in 2019 with the Chicago White Sox. He had 12 at-bats that season. That was his age 25 season. This season will be his age 30 season. Yeah, his age 30 season. He played 2021-2022 for Chicago White Sox. This season, he started with the White Sox, played 66 games. 196 at bat or 176 at bats. I'm sorry, and then he was traded to Arizona, where he had seven games, 17 at bats, or 17 plate plate appearances. In those 17 plate appearances for Arizona, he slashed 375, 471, 429 with an 899 OPS. And again, he's a backup catcher, and that is 17 plate appearances. I don't know what you can really take from that. Now, when we look at his career as a whole, his career slash is 210, 275, 347, 622. And it's not great. But what Jerry DePoto, I believe, is looking at is he's looking at the 2022 seasons of Allahad, where he slashed 270, 347, 382, 729 with an OPS plus uh, at 108 which is, again, above average, as that is another one of the statistics that is on the 100-grade scale. So there is potential here, right? But it's a backup catcher that you're trading for your starting third baseman, who is an impact dude in not only your clubhouse, but also on the field. And he's a dude that is a bat that can be an impact bat on in a lineup where you need lots of impact, bat, impact bats. You already needed to add two. I'm going to repeat this again. You already needed to add two before the season at least. 
many fans, I don't know if they would have been happy with only three. Some fans would have still wanted three impact bats. Right? But now, you forced yourself into a position where not only do you need three impact bats for sure now, for sure, if you do not get three impact bats, this is going to be a failure of an offseason. But not only do you need three impact bats now to make some fans happy, but you might need four. And you also are going to need to add to other spots. Right? So the trade as a whole, I mean, you can see why it hurt Mariners fans. You can see why I was frustrated, why everyone is frustrated. But we have to wait to look at this trade as a whole until we see the rest of the offseason. But in a nutshell, this trade overall is terrible. It is just terrible. And we'll see what happens after. Hopefully they make a move soon. Whether that is someone like a Blake Snell, who we've seen all over Seattle the past week. From the Husky game to the Seahawks Thursday night football Thanksgiving game. Where they got absolutely killed. I don't think I even want to talk about that. That was so brutal. But we know he wants to be here. So is he the impact signing that you're going to make? Is he the dude you're going to spend money on? Or is it Shohei? Probably not. We've seen multiple reports that are out on Shohei. But you never know what you can see. You never know what's going to happen, especially with Shohei, as we know he doesn't like stuff to be leaked out. Or are they going hard at Yamamoto? There's been reports from Morosi, among other reporters, that there is a shot the Mariners that the Mariners are looking at Yamamoto. But does he want to come here? That's a whole different story. There's been reports he wants to be on the West Coast, which brings me a lot of excitement. Because I believe that if the Dodgers end up signing the man, Shohei Otani, that they are done for the offseason in terms of a lot of money spent. They're not going to go put out $200 million for Yamamoto. And if he truly does want to be on the West Coast, if that's important to him, then I think Seattle is a very good fit. We know San Diego is not going to spend the money. San Francisco is the main team that is going to uh, basically go against you if he is looking truly at the West Coast. We'll see what happens. Alright, so next, let's quickly talk about Yamamoto. If you don't know who Yoshinobu Yamamoto is yet, you will by the end of this season. This dude is the three-time back-to-back-to-back winner of the MVP in Japan. He's won just about every time the equivalent of the Cy Young in Japan. And his pitch breakdown and his arsenal are disgusting. They are filthy. This dude is 25 years old, and he's coming to the major leagues this season. He is posted currently right now, and the front runners right now include the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Giants are supposedly looking into it. All the big teams. Allegedly, he wants a big market. There's been There have been reports that he wants West Coast. So if he wants big market West Coast, what does that tell you? Probably the Dodgers. Because as we know, the Dodgers are the only team on the West Coast that are going to spend heavily other than the Giants. And the Giants maybe 
are going to be something players will look for, but they don't have a clear farm system. They don't have a clear direction that they look like they are going. So if you're Yamamoto and you go to the Giants, you're probably not going to win super soon. Now, this is why as a Mariners fan, I can get excited. Because if it is true he wants West Coast, the only big market team, again, is the Dodgers. And if the Dodgers do not sign Shohei Otani, then they are going to be looking for a big player, and that player is probably going to be Yamamoto. But on the other side, if they do end up signing Otani, then that opens the playing field on the West Coast. That opens the playing field to the Mariners if they would like to go that direction. Now, with that said, I don't believe they're going to because we have had people say that, I believe Divish said a couple days ago on a podcast, that he doesn't believe that they're going to go over $140 million in total uh, salary this year. And right now they're only at like 100 and they're at 118 or so or something like that. And Yamamoto is probably going to be up in the $200 million for like eight years type of range. So that's going to be about, let's see, going to be about 25 per year. And if they go do that, I'll be overjoyed. But I really don't see them doing it. And that hurts because, you know, this isn't a, a crucial offseason and they have to do something. But it doesn't seem like they want to do something. And it doesn't seem like they're going to do something. There's no rumors of them looking to sign anyone. There's only speculation. There's nothing. And it's frustrating as a Mariners fan to have to sit here, look at Twitter, look at whatever every day, look up rumors, and see absolutely nothing except for pure speculation. And the stuff you do see is stuff like Mariners are out on Shohei Otani. Mariners are out on Otani because the price is too high. It's disgusting. It's so, so frustrating as a Mariners fan. And I'll get into a couple third base targets and fits in a second here that could potentially replace Gino. And we'll talk about via free agency and via trade. But via free agency, I don't know what I can believe and trust them to sign anything. Because if you're trading and you're signing, that uh, that salary and the amount of money that you're going to have to pay dudes is going to go so much higher. And I feel bad for Jerry because he is, I mean, he's like being squeezed to death by an anaconda. The anaconda being Stanton. He has no room for air. And if he makes air this offseason, he's going to be fired. If they're not good next season, both him and Scott Service probably will be gone. And do I believe that's the right move? I don't know, because it is hard to see what the actual problem is right now for this Mariners team. Obviously, it looks like it's the front office. Obviously, it also looks like it's Jerry. But it's hard to tell if free agents aren't signing because Jerry, or because of the money, or because they are not able to chase and sign dudes because of the money Stanton is looking to uh, save and not spend. Again, it's frustrating. And you have to see what happens for the rest of this offseason before we truly make any judgment. But as of right now, it doesn't look like they're going to do anything big or anything significant. 
And right now, they need three significant bats to make this team competitive for a postseason spot. All right, now continuing on, let's look at some third base targets via free agency, and then we'll look at trades. Now, a few of my trade targets aren't necessarily first base first, but they can play second as well. And one of them in Brendan Donovan, who I've talked about a little bit before, can also play in the outfield. All right, let me start with those two dudes, actually. Let's start with Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan. So the reason I included these two dudes is because they both can play second and third technically, right? But And that is valuable to the Mariners because they have host... They have Josh Rojas, and they also have they also have Luis Urias. And that's the dude that right now would be starting at third base for your Seattle Mariners. Do I like that? No. I don't like that one bit, and neither should any other Mariners fans. But if you're going with a platoon at third base next season, or a platoon at second base next season of Urias and Josh Rojas, I'm not going to have a problem with it, per se, depending on what else you do. First, let's look at Nolan Gorman. So Nolan Gorman does strike out a bit. But, as we've seen so far this offseason, the Mariners have cut down a lot on strikeouts, and Nolan Gorman is still 23 years of age. Let me first talk about a few things I like about him. Statistically, according to Savant, his barrel percentage is 97th percentile. That's similar to Cal Raleigh, I believe. Let me find what Cal's is. But that is a very useful stat and a very important stat because it means that when he hits the ball, he's not only hitting it hard, but he's hitting it where he needs to be hitting it. Right? If you don't know what the barrel percentage means, it means the percentage of time when you hit the ball that you're hitting it off the barrel, which the barrel of the bat is the part where you're meant to hit it it's that front half. And that barrel percentage for Nolan Gorman, again, is 97th percentile, which is better than Cal Raleigh's. And Cal Raleigh's is very high. A few other things I like are his expected slugging, his hard hit percentage, and his sweet spot percentage, which are expected slugging, 87th percentile, according to Savant, hard hit percentage, 86th, and sweet spot, 91st. Gorman also walks in the 83rd percentile this season. And again, he's still young, so I believe he has a lot of improvement. He's not even close to his prime. Gorman is a good player. Especially if you're willing to take in those strikeouts that he does have. He does have that tendency to strike out. His batting average isn't especially high. But this season, his OPS plus was 117, which is 17% above league, league average. His OPS was 805, and he did miss games to, uh, due to injury. So he only played in 119 games and only had 464 plate appearances. But in those 464 plate appearances, he had 96 hits, 17 of those being doubles, 27 home runs. So he is a 30 home run type of guy. He can hit 30 home runs. He had 76 RBIs, 7 stolen bases, 53 walks to 148 strikeouts. Batting average was 236, 
328 on base with a 478 slug, which again is good enough for an 805 OPS. And he played both at second and third this season. So again, he's a valuable player. He is young. He has a lot of control. He's a former first-round draft pick in 2018 out of high school. 23 years of age. He'll be in his 24-year-old season next season. So he's young. He's controllable, which are things that Jerry Depoto likes. The only thing I don't know about is he's left-handed hitting, which I don't know if that's a problem because right now you just need to acquire players. And left-handed hitters do play better in this ballpark. Let's look at a scenario, right? Let's say Nolan Gorman is signed, or traded for, sorry, from the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's say you acquire Nolan Gorman. Along with Nolan Gorman, let's say you, you sign Jorge Soler, and you sign, let's say you sign Young Hu Lee as well. Is that probably going to happen? No. I would say there's no way that happens in any scenario. Maybe one of those dudes gets signed, but who knows what all could happen. But I think a tandem, if you, if you trade for Gorman and you sign Solaire, would be very valuable. Because that's a lot of power you just added to your lineup. Also a lot of walk with pretty sh a lot of strikeouts with Gorman, but pretty mediocre strikeouts with Solaire. And you're adding a lot of power. You're adding a left-handed bat and a right-handed bat that are both going to play in your ballpark due to the way they play. You're going to get better. Those are two impact bats. Let's look at another impact bat from the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's look at Brendan Donovan, who I've talked about a little bit in the past, but let's talk about him again. So, Brendan Donovan, again, also pretty young. He is only 26 years of age. He will be playing in his 27-year-old season, though. Statistically, last season, Brendan Donovan played in 95 games. He was injured for much of it. He played second. He played first. He played designated hitter, of course. He also played both third. He also played short. He also played in both the corner outfield spots. That sounds like a valuable utility dude. Now, when you look at his statistics this season, he did only play in 95 games, so he had 371 plate appearances, 327 of those being ABs. He had 93 hits, 10 doubles, 11 homers, a triple, 34 RBIs, 33 walks to 53 strikeouts, so not especially high in either way. His average was 284 with a 3650 on base, 422 slugging which both of those were good enough for a 787 OPS, and his OPS plus was 115. But in 2022, his OPS plus was 124, which is 24% above league average two seasons ago, in which he played 126 games. Brendan Donovan, again, is another good player that could be valuable to your team. Again, an issue you could, poor say, make about Brendan Donovan is that he is a left-handed hitting player, right? 
Another thing you could say is he doesn't hit the ball hard, although he has a good chase rate, whiff percentage, K percentage, and sweet spot percentage. His slugging, exit velocity, barrel percentage, and hard hit are all about league average, if not a little bit below. He walks above league average barely, but he doesn't hit the ball hard. Can he improve on that? Yes, because again, this will be his third season in the league, similar to Gorman. But he's a good player to pair with another dude that can hit for power. So let's say you make a trade with the St. Louis Cardinals, who it's hard to know if they're still looking for pitching. Reports are that they are, but it's hard to see them trading multiple decent hitters or solid hitters from their lineup when they have the pitching that theoretically they probably believe they could use and need to make the playoffs next season. But let's say you swing a trade with them. Let's say you swing a trade for both Donovan and Gorman. So that is going to be one dude that's going to hit for a high average or a decently high average and one dude that's going to have a lower average. It's going to strike out more, but is also going to hit for a lot of power. Both those dudes will be left-handed hitters. Donovan could play in left field. He could play at third. He could play at second. You could place him basically wherever you need. Gorman would probably be your starting second baseman next season. Maybe third base, but he is more of a second baseman. But you see the way those two dudes would balance each other out. You have a high strikeout percentage in Gorman and very low strikeout percentage in Brandon Donovan. So I think it's it's all about the way you build this team. Both these dudes could play third and replace Gino. Both these play, dudes could play second and sort of replace the production that could be lost with that is going to be lost with Gino. But can either of these dudes fill Gino's clubhouse vibes? No. I don't think anyone can. People have said he is the best clubhouse dude in the entire league. So moving on, let's look at a couple other fits, one of which is Matt Chapman, who I am a hard no for. I don't think I could ever be a harder no for anyone. Maybe Javi Baez is the only dude. But Matt Chapman plays solid defense, but statistically he's going to be very similar to Gino when it comes to hitting. Last season, looking at Savant, he had very good exit velocity, very good barrel percentage, very good hard hit percentage, very good chase percentage, all of which were above 94th or higher in percentiles for baseball savant. He walked 78% of the time, but he did strike, or he walked in the 78th percentile, and he struck out in the 16th percentile. Again, for the price Matt Chapman is going to cost, it is not worth going and getting this guy. This guy is going to be asking for over $100 million in a long-term contract. It is a contract that is not worth giving out, even though he was above a four-win player next season, last season. So statistically this season, let's look. His best season was in 2019, in which he hit 249 with an 848 OPS. He had 36 home runs that year, but since then he has tailed down. That was with Oakland, but since he has tailed down again. He had two years with Oakland after that, and then two years with Toronto after being traded. Let's look at 2023. So in 2023, his OPS was 755, 424 slugging, and a 330 on base to combine to make that. 
which isn't terrible, but it's also not great. And again, I think the big problem with Matt Chapman is the price he's going to cost for the player he is. For the player he is, he's not worth the price it's going to cost. He hit 17 home runs this season with 39 doubles and 122 hits. Played 140 games, like 581 plate appearances with 599 at-bats. He struck out 165 times to 62 walks, which really is down from past years. He is a little bit more of a strikeout guy than that. Last season, it was actually pretty similar. 68 walks to 170 strikeouts. year before, he had 80 walks to 202 strikeouts. And when we think about dudes coming to the Mariners, they strike out more. I think that is somehow, some way, been a given. Look at Tay Oscar, right? He struck out more. Look at Jesse Winker. I don't even know what to say about Jesse Winker. But dudes struggle when they come to the Mariners. That is, that is known. I think another piece of this puzzle is that Matt Chapman most likely wouldn't want to come here. Because it is not a hitter-friendly park, and we're not going to give him the money to make it worth it for himself. So I think right now you can put a big, fat, X through Matt Chapman's name if you are looking at him as a potential candidate to fill that third base. So my final target is going to be Jamer Candelario. Candelario last season played for the Nationals and then was traded to the Cubs at the deadline. He was a target for many Mariners fans at the deadline, including myself a little bit. I wasn't sure exactly what we would get from him if we did because I don't think plays the ballpark especially well but he did get traded at the deadline to the Cubs who I think slightly missed the postseason last season when we look at his baseball savant it's a lot of gray it's a lot of blue only thing that is a slightly red is his sweet spot percentage and if you're looking at that that worries me because as a hitter you have to be able to have pretty quality hitting statistics to be at T-Mobile Park if you're not above average in exit velocity, barrel percentage, any of those, you're probably going to struggle. Again, also looking at his spray chart, a lot of his hits were on the infield or were down the lines or to center field. I think when we're looking at T-Mobile Park, where you have to hit is the gaps and down the lines. And I like that he hits the ball down the line, but he's not hitting the gaps as well as he probably could. And you want to hit the gaps at T-Mobile Park. So, last season, again, not great, according to Baseball Savant, but his statistics were decent. Total last season for both teams, he had a 251 batting average with a 336 on base, 471 slug, which was an 807 OPS. But what worries me is that the year before, he had a very tough year. 217 batting average with a 272 on base, 361 slug, and he had a 633 on OPS, which is trash. That is horrendous. But if they do sign Candelario, I'm not going to be mad. He's a switch hitter. He can play third base. And I'm not going to be mad. He can play. He can also play first if you need him to, as well as DH. So I won't be mad if they make the signing or if they make the trade or the signing. But I don't think he's my top target. And I don't think there's much in the third base realm that you want to do when it comes to free agency. 
there's nothing there. Truly nothing there. This probably is your best target, especially for the money he will cost. But I don't know if it's a good move for your side. Does it move the needle? Maybe. Is he an impact bat? I mean, maybe. I don't know what you can expect from him, I think. When I'm looking at players that I want the Mariners to sign, I want dudes that I know what I can expect from them. And I have no idea what I can expect from him. If you're going to go after him, you have to sign a dude that... You're going to have to sign probably one other dude. Maybe it's Jorge Soler that you know what you're going to get. And you're going to have to trade for a couple dudes that you probably know what you're going to get. If you sign Candelar, you need two other impact bats. And I know I've said that you need three no matter what. But you're going to need two pretty big impact bats if you go for Candelario as your third baseman next season. But again, you have to do what you have to do at this point. The Mariners are in a pinch and you have to make moves. So if Candelario is that move, if Chapman is that move, if whoever is that move, make the move. But I need to see commitment from ownership, from DePoto, from Hollander, from whoever, that this team they believe in and that this team deserves the resources they can put in, but they're not putting in. And that comes from top down. That comes from Stanton first. You need to give DePoto resources to play with, to access, so that he can make the moves to make this team a postseason contender, a World Series contender. Because that's what the city deserves, that's what our fans deserve, that's what we all deserve, and that's what we all want. It has been almost 50 years in the making here. It's not been good enough from ownership. And if it's not, if it continues not to be good enough, people should call for their removal, and I will be first in line. So yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode of On the Diamond Into the Deep. Again, I am Mahal. We are recording today on December second, twenty twenty three. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'll be back next week with another episode. Go Mariners, go Seahawks, go Sounders, go Kraken, and go Dogs. See y'all.